morning, everyone. My name is Brad, and I'm one of the pastors here. Happy Easter to you. Let's practice this again. He is risen. He is risen All right, amen. Amen. Well, before we dismiss Antioch kids to go to their classes, I want to invite you to pray with me. And not just listen to me pray up here, but I'm inviting you to pray with me. Let's pray. Father, we come before you this morning on a day that is sacred, that for Christians is the most holy day of the year, and yet at the same time we acknowledge that every day is Easter for us who cling to the cross, to the empty tomb, to the resurrected Lord Jesus who is in heaven and who will one day come again. And so we want to pray for the extraordinary and yet also the ordinary. Lord, we lift up some things to you in our midst that are heavy on our hearts, First of all, Kathy O'Malley, we pray that you would have mercy on her in these next weeks as her life seems to be close. And Lord, we pray you would open her eyes to you and that she could be resurrected because she has put her trust and her hope in you in the face of bitter death. And Lord, we pray for Miss Viswa within Asa Church who has just heard that she needs a kidney transplant. We ask for your mercy on her life that there would be provision for that, but also that you would heal her and raise her up so that she has more life to live. And yet, use this to draw her near to you such that, Lord, she may give praise to you and look to the day of resurrection, whatever may come. Lord, you know there are other needs in our midst. Father, may our hearts lift those to you this morning, even as we sing and even as we hear your word and your spirit moves among us. Lord, we want you to be glorified in this space, in this room. It's just a drop in the bucket of what's going on in the world this day and in these weeks as a spiritual openness rests over your world and people consider Easter and what it means. And so, Lord, we don't just pray for your kingdom to come here and now in this space, but we pray that your kingdom would come in all places where Jesus is proclaimed. We pray that in our city this morning, in our country this day, around the world in every country, wherever Jesus is proclaimed, May the people of God right now, where is a place, a people that is on your heart this morning, people of God, that you long for the name of Jesus to be proclaimed? Would you lift up the name of that place to the Lord in your heart right now? Let the Lord hear. Is it a particular community? Maybe a place back home where you're from, where so many have turned away from the Lord, though they may have grown up in church? Is it a city where you're from where there are millions of people who are utterly indifferent and unaware of the reality of the gospel? Is it a country where there are so many people who've never even had a chance to hear about Jesus? Were they to hear his name, they would say, I don't, I've never heard of him. Does he live in the next village? Lift that place up to the Lord right now. God, in all places we pray, That Jesus would be glorified. Though some may preach Christ from envy and rivalry and selfish ambition. We say what then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth. That Christ is proclaimed. And in that we rejoice. So be glorified today as we proclaim you Lord Jesus. In your name. Amen. All right, at this time, Antioch kids, you may be dismissed to go to your classes along with your teachers. Hey, teachers, thank you. Thank you for sacrificing to go out and teach the gospel to them instead of being in this gathering and enjoying this moment together. Let's give it up for the teachers who are going on mission right now. All right, Bill, if you want to come on up and prepare to read today's scripture. Today's passage is Luke chapter 24, verses 36 through 43. You can find that on page 885 if you're using one of the Bibles in the chairs. But the scripture will also be on the screen where you can follow along there. 
Let's stand for the reading of God's word. As they were talking about these things, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, Peace to you. But they were startled and frightened and thought that they saw a spirit. And he said to them, Why are you troubled? And why do doubts arise in your hearts? See my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Touch me and see. For a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. And when he said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. And while they still disbelieved for joy and were marveling, he said to them, Have you anything here to eat? They gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he took it and ate before them. Church, the Lord has spoken to us, and let's say this together. Thanks Thanks be be to to God. God. You may be seated. I'm bored. How many of you all hear that on occasion? Yep. How many of you all say that on occasion? Kids in the room? Yeah, that's right. You want to know the most bored that I've ever been since living in Louisville? Working the breakfast shift at Chick-fil-A in Mall St. Matthews. Me and Katie would get there at 6.30 a.m. in order to open up at 7 a.m. Now, have any of you all ever been to the mall at 7 a.m.? Of course not, because no one ever has, right? One of us would be up front, the other would be in the back, in the kitchen, but the worst was up front. You had to stand there, alone, in front of the cash register, just waiting. Nobody there. And you couldn't look at your phone, you couldn't read a book. Just stand there for hours. And you know, as Americans, we don't do so well with being bored, do we? Now, this week, me and one of my girls were in a traffic jam on the Gene Snyder, and so we started looking around at people. Y'all ever done this in a traffic jam? Or just in general, when people are driving? Well, I asked my daughter, so what do you observe about people? And she looked only for a moment, and she said, they look sad and bored. It's like, that's a pretty good description. I'm like, I'm pretty sure that that moment on the Waterson, T-Rex could have come out of the woods and crossed the highway, and people would have still been like, you know what I'm saying? At best, maybe Instagram him, and then just go back to being indifferent. You guys know what I mean by the word indifferent? It doesn't mean excited. It doesn't mean opposed. It just means simply uninterested. I could care less. In a sound? Mm. In other words, I'm bored. So what's the relevance here? It's this. That when it comes to Easter... The vast majority of Americans are indifferent. Not excited, not opposed, just uninterested. Sure, man, put on your pastels, go to Mass, have your egg hunt, eat a nice lunch, and woohoo, he is risen. Easter is a heartwarming story to most people. After winter, there's spring. After tragedy, there's a happy ending. After death, we go into the light. Sure, man, we cool with the resurrection. But have it redefine our lives in such a way that every day is Easter and Jesus becomes Lord over everything ordinary in your life? Mm. At best, we Instagram Easter. And then we just go back to being simply indifferent. The interesting thing is, it seems like this was also the case right after Jesus died. He had seemingly just turned the entire world upside down. He came teaching like no one had ever taught, healing like no one had ever healed, leading like no one had ever led. You hear it in the description that two of his disciples give right before today's passage. They're walking to a town called Emmaus and having a discussion concerning Jesus of Nazareth. A man who was a prophet, mighty in deed and word before God and all the people. 
and how our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. And they had such high hopes. He had caught their attention for a moment. But now that he was dead, they were immediately going back to being indifferent. Maybe you're at that point already in the course of this sermon. Just another revolutionary leader killed by the Romans. You see it in that they're leaving Jerusalem here, right? If they expected Jesus to rise that day, would they leave town? No! And they had already been told that morning that his tomb had been found empty and that several women had seen a vision of angels proclaiming his resurrection. Now, if they believed that, would they leave town? No! They were immediately going back to their normal nine-to-five lives. Have any of you ever been on a sandy beach there at the ocean and you put your foot down in the sand and make an imprint and take your foot away? What happens? No matter what you do, now how deep you stomp, that sand will quickly settle right back into place as though your foot was never there. And that is how naturally we settle back into being spiritually indifferent. And you can say today, well, pastor, I'm not like that. I would have responded differently if I was there. Really? Well, let's see how you respond today. And here's my first challenge to you. Be startled, frightened, troubled, or even doubtful. Just don't be indifferent. So kids who are in the room, if you have your coloring sheets, this is a point that you're looking for on your coloring sheet. If you don't have it, there are more right over there on the side table. Indifferent is the word you're looking for for the big idea of this sermon. So this is kind of a weird application to make. You didn't expect to come to church on Easter Sunday and your pastor tell you to be doubtful, right? Well, let me explain from the passage what I'm getting at here. Verse 36. As they were talking about these things, that is the two disciples from Emmaus reporting to the apostles, Jesus himself stood among them. And said to them, peace, y'all, peace to you. But they were startled and frightened and thought they saw a spirit. Kids, on your worksheet, this is the first way the disciples reacted when they saw Jesus. I'm, I'm making it easy for you this morning, kiddos. So here he is, the very person that they're grieving and longing for, suddenly in their midst. And he greets them with a phrase that's so common and so cheery that it's almost like he didn't just get flayed and crucified and buried that very weekend. And so you would think that Luke would say the disciples were something like put at ease and comforted life back to normal. But instead we read that they were startled translation terrified and frightened translation panicking. The Jesus Storybook Bible, I think, has it right when it shows the disciples hiding under the table, okay? But why are they doing this? Well, first, Luke says, they thought they saw a spirit. Now, come on, y'all. I get creeped out when I'm here at the building by myself, and I hear the ice machine bang in the kitchen. Timothy, Tammy, can I get an amen? Yes, yes. Imagine what I would do if a person suddenly appeared and started talking to me. Y'all, I don't know if you've seen Bugs Bunny, but I would put a brad-shaped hole in the wall on my way out of this concrete building. And you would too. And since humanity turned away from God in the Garden of Eden, encountering the supernatural does not initially bring comfort but discomfort. You with me? Second, we can take this to mean that they don't recognize him. Luke doesn't say the spirit of Jesus. He just says a spirit. And isn't it interesting that time after time when Jesus appears to people after his resurrection, 
They don't recognize him. Mary Magdalene at the empty tomb thought he was the gardener. Two disciples on the road to Emmaus thought he was some dude that wasn't on social media and had no clue what was going on in the world. Why? Why don't they recognize him? Well, there's some really good reasons that I could riff on. They weren't expecting him. They were distraught. Their eyes had to be opened. Yeah, okay. But I want to go with a really shallow reason this morning. It's this. He looked different. He looked different. He was not a spirit that was a shell of his old self. His old self was a shell of his new self. You see, y'all remember Lazarus was resurrected, right? It's like, well, okay, what's the big deal about Jesus? Lazarus got resurrected too. Well, here's the thing. Lazarus comes out of the grave. They have to unwrap his body, first of all, push the stone away in order to get him out. Probably explain to him why in the world he is back and why everybody's creeped out by him. It's the same old body that Lazarus has, already on the clock toward death again. But Jesus comes out of the grave, whole new body, never to die again, no longer bearing the weight of the world, no longer facing the teeth of the cross and the full blast of God's wrath, already highly exalted and given the name above every name, able to go through walls and to appear and disappear at will, yet a physical body. We can't even fathom the difference between Jesus before the cross and Jesus after the empty tomb. And this is why the Apostle John writes to followers of Jesus. Beloved, we are God's children now already in this old decaying body. And yet what we will be has not yet appeared. When you are physically resurrected with a body that will never die again like Jesus' resurrected body. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him in his resurrected body because we shall see him as he is. Follower of Jesus, until the day you see him, you can't even fathom the difference between the old you and the new you that's coming. You wouldn't even recognize your resurrected self. And neither did the disciples with Jesus. And that's why he says in verse 38, Why are you troubled? Literal translation, stirred up. And why do doubts arise in your hearts? My rough translation, why are you stacking up calculations, talking yourself out of what you are experiencing right now? And so, y'all, I think that this could be more for us than just a rhetorical question that you pass over quickly. It's like Jesus is saying, think about why your hearts are troubled and doubtful. Why? Here's why. It's because you are encountering the supernatural. And that's not comforting to a natural person. It's because you are encountering the firstborn from the dead. And that doesn't stack up to a spiritually dead person. Have a genuine encounter with the risen Lord Jesus. And listen, you might just be terrified, panicky, stirred up, or calculating today. But you know what you won't be? Indifferent. You won't be. This weekend, I was telling my girls about how I came to know the Lord. And it was through the Fellowship of Christian Athletes coming to my church, doing skits and songs and testimonies among athletes that I looked up to. So I actually listened. I was that kid that got in trouble with my parents because I slouched back in my chair and put my hood on in front of everybody and embarrassed them, right? Y'all remember that? So I'm that kid. But this and I paid attention. At the end of that service, they played this cheesy old Ray Bolt song called Watch the Lamb. Anybody heard Watch the Lamb in here? Dear children, watch the lamb. 
So I showed my girls this video thinking, you know, they're going to think it's cheesy, it's not modern, it's not good sound or, or visuals. And we watched it. And I just started weeping. And they said, Daddy, are you crying? And I said, yeah. And they started crying. And we hugged each other. I said, this took me back to that moment when I was that kid that was indifferent and didn't care about what the preacher had to say. And yet I realized for the first time that Jesus didn't deserve to die on the cross, but he did anyways, and he did it for me. And I heard Jesus call my name. And you know how I responded? They gave that invitation up to the front, right? Old school. I was shaking, I was crying, and I was sweating. Okay? I could not be indifferent in that moment. Because Jesus, the resurrected king, called my name. This Easter, may you be startled, frightened, troubled, or even doubtful and wrestling with this. Just don't be indifferent. That's my first challenge to you. Here's my second. Touch him and see for yourself. Just don't be indifferent. Jesus continues addressing his followers in verse 39. See my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Touch me and see. I love that Jesus draws near in the midst of what's lacking in their belief. And he provides exactly what is needed. Y'all see, every other religion says, step out of the natural and you'll be rewarded with the supernatural. Be faithful. And you'll be rewarded. Only in Christianity does the supernatural step into the natural. God in the flesh saying, touch me and see for yourself. I've come to you, not you to me. And see, the only problem with this for us is, though, we can't exactly do this, can we? It's great for the disciples, but after Jesus ascended... He's not around anymore for us to experience this for ourselves. And I don't know about you, but that kind of seems lame since he calls people to believe that he rose from the dead, but then he leaves? What's up with that? Jesus, wouldn't it make more sense for him to be doing world tours? Right? For him to show up in this room right now, holding out his hands and his feet saying, look, feel I'm right here. Y'all say, yeah, then I I would believe. It would change my life. But here's where that kind of thinking breaks down. In one of his parables, Jesus includes this really uncomfortable line. He says, if they do not hear Moses and the prophets, that is the Old Testament. Neither will they be convinced if someone should rise from the dead. Here's what he's saying. If you do not listen to the eyewitnesses of God revealing himself through his word, then Jesus himself could show up in this room right now and you still wouldn't believe. Or your saintly old dead granny Myrtle could show up and tell you about the glories of heaven and you still wouldn't believe. Or your rotten old dead Uncle Bucky Could show up and tell you about the terrors of hell. And you still wouldn't believe. At least not in a way that would have any more lasting impact than creeping you out for a little while. What Jesus has given you that is just as sure. And an even more blessed way of being wrecked by his resurrection. Is the testimony of his eyewitnesses. That is living And has the power to get a hold of your heart. Like it did that 13 year old kid who didn't care at all. On that Sunday evening. Over and over we hear the eyewitnesses of Jesus resurrection. Saying things like this from the Apostle John. That which was from the beginning. He's talking about Jesus. 
which we have heard. We heard. Which we have seen with our eyes. We looked upon. And we touched with our hands. Concerning the word of life. The life was made manifest. And we've seen it. And we testify to it and proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. I don't think you're getting it. That which we have seen. And we, we heard. We proclaim also to you so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son Jesus Christ. Man, it's like they're stumbling over themselves to say constantly. Like, we cannot help but speak of what we have seen and heard. Like, we, we can't help it. It showed up. You can totally buy into what we're saying. Or you can say we're liars and kill us. But whatever you do, don't you dare dumb this down to something that's just comfortable. Because it wasn't for us. It wasn't initially comfortable on the day that we walked up to what we thought was a ghost and touched it. And not just a ghost but a ghost with terrible scars. You see, Jesus had continued to them in verse 39. For a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. And when he had said this, kids, here's how Jesus proved he was alive. You need that for your worksheet. He showed them his hands and his feet. I know that John says after this that the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. I know that moment is coming. But before they can get to that, in this moment, they have to go through one more disturbing thing. The one thing that Jesus uses as the proof that it's really him. The one thing that finally allows them to recognize him. The one thing of earth that's left on his resurrected body. Not just flesh and bones, but his scars. The gaping holes where nails were driven into his hands and feet and a spear into his side. Once when I was living overseas, I was headed to get some medical care in a neighboring country. And I heard there was another young missionary there who had just been in a terrible accident. The story went that he was using a a handsaw to cut bricks. And that handsaw suddenly exploded. And shrapnel burst all the way through his welding mask and hit him in the face. Now amazingly, the story went, the most qualified plastic surgeon on the entire continent of Africa just happened to be in his city on that very day. And so he was a walking miracle, people said. Now, of course, when you hear a story like that, there's a part of you that's like, yeah, we'll see. Probably not that bad. You know, it's probably got a little something here, a little something there. Not too bad. But then I met the guy. And I saw the pictures from the accident. And I saw the scar that ran from here to here. And in a way that made me shudder, it hit me that this really happened. When the disciples touch the scars and see for themselves, it's hitting them. This really happened. If Jesus rises from the dead as just a spirit who reassures you that it's all going to be okay, that everything happens for a reason, then Easter will warm your heart. But if Jesus rises from the dead with a physical body that holds out scars to you, then Easter will confront your heart. Most Americans are thinking Easter Bunny when they should be thinking more like Grim Reaper. In the book of Revelation, Jesus says of himself, I died, and behold, I am alive forevermore. And I have the keys of death 
and Hades. Listen, y'all, the grim reaper doesn't show up and people feel warm and fuzzy, right? What do they do when he shows up? Cower, run, plead. So what are you going to do with the one person whom sin and death could not beat? Who now holds the keys of death and hell? Who died by your hands, though you weren't there, because it was for your sin? What are you going to do with him? So what a grace that he wants you to touch him and see. And now is your chance. He wants you to have him. Do you know why the stone was rolled away from the tomb? Ever thought about this? Why why was the stone rolled away from the tomb? Not so that Jesus could get out. Dude has a glorified physical body that can pass through walls. The stone was rolled away not so that he could get out. It was so that you could get in. In other words, he wants you to have him. And so, go in and shudder. And grapple with the reality of an empty tomb. Of a physical resurrection that demands obedience in every aspect of your physical life. Touch him and see for yourself today. Just don't be indifferent. That's my second challenge to you. Here's my third Disbelieve for joy and marvel. Just don't be indifferent. So we see a major turn for the disciples beginning in verse 41. Kids, this is the second way the disciples reacted when they saw Jesus. And while they still disbelieved for joy and were marveling, he said to them, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations. I'm about to ascend to the Father and blow your minds. The Spirit's going to come and rock and change the world. No, that's not what he says. Y'all get anything to eat? And they gave him a piece of broiled fish. And he took it and ate before them. Kids, that's the second way that Jesus proved he was alive for your worksheets. Now, to disbelieve for joy is kind of a funny phrase, right? I mean, it almost sounds like the disciples are continuing to doubt just for the fun of it. But we should take it more like a figure of speech. As one scholar says, this doesn't express doubt, but overwhelming and paralyzing realization. They've touched him, and they've seen the scars, and they've realized it really is him. And it's almost too good to be true. In a phrase, they're blown away. And then right there in the middle of the most extraordinary, supernatural thing that they've ever experienced, Jesus does the most ordinary, natural thing you can think of. You guys got anything to eat in here? (laughs) So how's this for bursting the bubble on our spiritualizing of Easter? Our turning it into a Hallmark fiction movie that puts no demand on our everyday lives but makes us feel good. Just when we expect Jesus to do something fairy taleish, he asks for food. And when he gets it, he just eats it. What's up with this? Well, most simply, we could say that it's just further proof of the resurrection. A spirit eating food is kind of like Olaf the snowman eating a hot fruit cake. Anybody seen that part of that little film? He's given a hot fruit cake, he puts it in his mouth, it immediately falls out his backside, and he says, Woo! That went right through me. Spirits don't eat. 
living physical bodies eat. Jesus is alive. But I think there's even more proof of the resurrection here. You ever hear a phrase in the Bible like a piece of broiled fish? And you think like, man, that's really specific. It's kind of strange. Luke doesn't just say something to eat or meat or fish, but a piece of broiled fish. Why? It's a claim to historical fact. Luke has heard this detail from an eyewitness who was in the room, and he recorded it in his gospel. Jesus is alive. And yet here is the main place that I want to land in explaining these three verses. In America, for as easily as we get bored, there's one thing that we're usually not very indifferent about. You know what it is? Celebrities. We make a really big deal of famous people, and especially meeting them. Now, when people meet a celebrity, and afterward they're telling their friends about it, what do they usually say to sum up their estimation of that person? Usually a couple different things, one or the other. Yeah, he was a jerk. Or, you know, he was really what? Nice, yeah. Oh, I heard it. Three words. Down to earth. You ever thought about that? Why do we say that? What does that mean? Why is it this, this marker of a good person that we enjoy being with and would like to experience further? That's, that's the question here. Here's how I want to answer it. Perhaps because we were made for the resurrected Lord of the universe. The greatest celebrity in all of eternity. To stand among us and to eat some fish. Maybe that's what we were made for. You see, what makes Easter marvelous is not that it's about just getting you out of earth and up to heaven someday. It's marvelous because it's about God coming out of heaven and three words. What? Down to earth. He is the most down to earth person in the history of the world. Every celebrity that you long to meet and say, he was really down to earth. She was really down to earth. It's testifying to your longing at a soul level to know him who came down to earth for you to save you. And to change every ordinary part of your life. And that's what makes the difference between marveling over the resurrection and just being indifferent. You know, I talk to a lot of people about the resurrection and they say, yeah, I've always believed. You know, it's kind of a passing thing. I don't really want to talk about it further. It's just kind of like, yeah, yeah, I've been there, done that, got that. I've always believed. And as long as Jesus is impersonal and in heaven, then you can comfort yourself with the thought that you and him are good. But when he interrupts your life, when he begins to become real to you, like the disciples, you'll be, phrase, blown away. So disbelieve for joy and marvel. Just. Don't be indifferent. So you all want to know the moment that I was the least bored when I worked at Chick-fil-A and Mall St. Matthews? One morning I was standing there at my post like someone in a traffic jam. Sad and bored. And next door to us was a Chinese restaurant. And as people finally started to arrive at the mall, the Chinese restaurant was handing out samples of orange chicken on little toothpicks. A lady walks past, receives her sample of orange chicken, plops it in her mouth, and by the time she makes it to in front of me, she realizes, and I realize by the look on her face, that she ain't liking what's in her mouth. A lot. 
So she looks at me with this horrified face. And even though we're in a food court and there are literally trash cans all around, she says, give me a napkin. So I give her a napkin. She immediately spits, and I could use the word vomits, you know, like vomits the whole thing into the napkin. You know what I'm saying? Because when you got something nasty in your mouth, you're not just like, you're like, you're like trying to get it out of your, got something back in there, it's still hanging around. All that into the napkin right in front of me. Now, I'll remind you, this is a food court, if I haven't said that already. There are trash cans, like multiple, like five feet away. Like, that's it. But she looks at me, hands me the napkin, and says, throw that away. Come on, y'all, you know what I did. I worked at Chick-fil-A. I took it, threw it away, and said, My pleasure. I wasn't bored anymore. I mean, do you think I was still indifferent in that moment? <laughs> Man, I was furious. Like, I'm still mad about it today. <laughs> I burst into the supply closet, and I guarantee you I said something other than my pleasure. Okay? Shall not be repeated. So what am I getting at here with this? I think God would rather have... You have an Easter that spits in your napkin. Then you just walk away indifferent today. He says as much in Revelation chapter 3 verse 16. Because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold. I will spit. It's a nice translation. Literally means vomit. You out of my mouth. He wants you to walk away with your life redefined in such a way that every day is Easter. And Jesus becomes Lord over every ordinary thing in your life. But if that can't be, then he would rather you burst out of here in a rage of opposition than just leave here, Instagram Easter, and go back to being completely indifferent. It's so natural for us to settle back in just like the sand on the seashore. And we talked about this on the road to Emmaus before Jesus appeared. But it was also the case even after Jesus appeared. John chapter 21, seven of Jesus' disciples are sitting by the Sea of Galilee after the resurrected Lord Jesus appeared to them and told them he would meet them there. Perhaps they are putting their feet in the sand and watching it settle Back to normal. We read this. Simon Peter said to them, Y'all, I'm going fishing. And they said to him, We'll go with you. And they went out and got into the boat. But that night, they caught nothing. So the ex-fisherman, still trying to process what in the world is going on, still a little sad and bored. What do they do? They settle right back into what's normal, And comfortable. And if they did it after literally seeing and touching him, like what hope do we have? Here's the hope that we have. Once again, in the middle of their indifference, he came and stood among them. John continues just as the day was breaking, Jesus stood on the shore. Yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. And Jesus said to them, children, dear children, do you have any fish out there? How's it going for you? 
Yeah, I've always believed that. How's that working out for you? Almost the same question as when he first appeared to them. Except this time, instead of giving, instead of them giving him fish, he's going to give it to them. Put something into their flesh and bones that will redefine their lives forever. What is it? Himself. You see, unlike us, Jesus was not indifferent toward us. He had every right to be. He was God and we were not. And yet, the Bible tells us that the eternal God took on flesh and dwelt among us. Was birthed. Sucked his thumb. Played in the dirt. Had acne. Went to school. Got bored. Worked long hours. As Pastor Zach Eswine writes profoundly, Jesus farted. Okay? It's how ordinary it is that he enters into the human experience. Another author puts it this way. The one who is worthy of worship, glory, and fanfare spends decades in obscurity and ordinariness. As if the incarnation itself is not mind-bending enough. The incarnate God spent his days quietly. A man who went to work, got sleepy, and lived a pedestrian life among average people. He came and experienced that for us. All the while without becoming indifferent toward his heavenly father. Never bored toward God. Followers of Jesus, let me say to you, it ought to be meaningful to you that Jesus perfectly fulfilled all the commands of God in the context of an ordinary life. Sometimes, follower of Jesus, you can hear a sermon like this and walk away more burdened from it because you feel like you've got to go live some supernatural, extraordinary life. Sell all that you have. Preach the gospel to people like you're a crazy person out on the street. Okay, you may be compelled to do some radical things in obedience, but what Jesus is calling you to do is to let him be Lord in the context of everyday ordinary life. And he did that for us. And yet toward the one who was worthy of worship and glory and fanfare, the world, us included, became indifferent. On the cross, Jesus became, as Isaiah says, one from whom men Hide their faces. I don't even want to look at him. And as we sing in one of our hymns, even the Father turned his face away on the cross. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? To redefine your entire life. That's why. To redefine your entire life. When you turn away from your sinful indifference toward God, And turn in faith to Jesus Christ. That's why. And not just believing that God raised him from the dead. But that he'll raise you from the dead. Spiritually now. Physically. One day. And becoming the Lord of everything ordinary in your life. Work. Sleep. School. Boredom. Everything. Jesus may have never spit in a napkin. But he did spit in some dirt one time. Remember that? And then he rubbed it around. And he put it on a blind man's eyes. And when that man's eyes were opened. And he realized that Jesus was the son of God. You know what the Bible tells us? That the man said, Lord, I believe. And he worshipped him. Would that be you today? On the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took a loaf of bread, and after blessing it, he broke it. That's Friday right there. So this is my body which is broken for you. Eat this in remembrance of me. 
And likewise, he took a cup of wine. And after blessing it, he gave it to his disciples. He said, this marks the new covenant and the shedding of my blood. That's Friday right there. As often as you eat this bread and you drink from this cup, you announce the Lord's death until he returns. Today we are announcing what the disciples are announcing to us. That he stood among them. Our tradition here in Antioch is to come forward, followers of Jesus, whether or not you're a member of this congregation, to break off a piece of bread, to dip it into the juice, remembering Friday, and yet also Sunday. And yet also in the same process, proclaiming in this act that he will stand among us again. So if you're a follower of Jesus, come. This will be here for you in two stations. They'll be gluten-free available over on that side. But if you are not a follower of Jesus, if he has gotten hold of your heart and confronted you today in the way that he confronted me at 13, would you respond to him? Would you turn away from your indifference? Would you not leave here trying to do better? That's not the gospel. But in this moment, would you realize that he did better for you? And he holds it to you as a free gift when you put your faith in him. It's called grace. Receive him today. Respond to him. You may not walk up here to a pastor with yourself shaking and sweating and crying. Walk back to a pastor. We'll be in the back to pray with anyone who has any need. Let's pray. Father, we bow before you on this sweet Easter morning. We thank you for the cross. And we thank you for the empty tomb. And we thank you for your appearance to your eyewitnesses and that their testimony was recorded in a living word so that we today, all these years later, could hear a testimony that is just as sure and even more blessed. So Lord, in this moment, may you cause faith to rise up in hearts. The seed that has been sown, may you find good soil for it. May those who do not know you respond to you. So that every part of their lives would come under your lordship. Even the ordinary, everyday parts. And may those who already know you. Not walk away indifferent from you today. Because of the sins that so easily entangle. And the burdens that come in dragging behind them. But may they see such a vision of you. Standing in the midst of your followers. Holding out scars that they would be renewed and they would be led to repentance and they would be led to marveling and joy. Oh God, have your way. In Jesus' name, amen.